everybody, and welcome to the GigCX Decoded podcast, where we dive into the world of gig-based customer service, or GigCX. This podcast is brought to you by Limitless, the world's leading GigCX platform. And I'm your host today, Megan Neal, uh, one of the co-founders at Limitless. On this podcast, we'll explore the world of gig customer experience, and we call it GigCX, which enables businesses to crowdsource customer support by routing digital customer inquiries to passionate brand experts, ambassadors, or advocates who get rewarded on a per gig basis. I'm so excited to be joined today by Sue Morris, who's the Vice President for Users and Product Operations at Google. And we're gonna hear a lot more today about what that means and the journey that Sue has taken to get to this wonderful role. Welcome, Sue, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I am very well, thank you, Megan. Thank you for asking. Excellent. And can I start by embarrassing you a little? Because when I'm looking at your background, um, I can absolutely say what an illustrious career you have had, which has spanned over many organizations, many territories. So um, I know you don't like to be uh, uh, showcase kind of the roles and the brands that you work for all the time, but it's uh, it truly is very, very impressive. Thank you. I think I've just been very lucky to, to, to be able to work with some amazing teams, amazing companies. I've had some amazing leaders and, uh, and joined each company at exciting times, you know, being at Vodafone as the explosion of mobile phones happen and um, at uh, Google, the AI company, as, as we go into this AI watershed moment. So I'm super excited to, to learn more about that later on. So, uh, but very humble as always, Sue. So, um, Let's start with those uh, 12 years, I believe it is, at Vodafone, where you, you forged a really impressive career, culminating in being the head of Vodafone Global Enterprise Operations. Um, love to learn a little bit more about your journey there. And, and, and I imagine that role from its a title was largely business to business, but uh, I'm sure our readers would love to hear, or listeners would love to hear more. Yeah, Vodafone was a, such a, a great place to work um, at that time, especially because um, I was originally in sales um, and, uh, you know, running some of our larger sales organizations and the tele sales organizations, which, you know, um, had some fantastic people in there and, it, and some great programs that we were running. But interestingly, if you, any, for anybody who's ever worked in telco, you'll know that it, it's very commoditized. It's hugely competitive. Um, it's highly regulated. And so especially in the UK, the way that you have a mobile contract where you pay for the phone up front, or the, the, the network does. And then you have 24 months really to be able to make back the cost of that and then uh, hold those customers so that you can start to make revenue from them. You've really got to make every single interaction that you have count with those customers. And so that's where I found the love for moving from, from sales, you know, at just those beginning touch points to being more into a service organization that you could create moments of wow throughout the life cycle that would really drive customer lifetime value. Um, and so that's why I found uh, Vodafone so exciting. I think they they did some amazing things that were groundbreaking um, in the in the industry, and um, it was a great learning ground. Really, we we trial so many things, you know, very early to tiered service models, to bots, to um, using all sorts of, uh, of of ways to service our customers. And so I found it a, a great place to learn. Fantastic. Thank you. And and then from there, you went on to spend, what is eight years at, at Microsoft, which included a, a move to be based in Seattle from the UK. Um, and you went in to hold the role of worldwide customer service leader. 
um, focusing on the consumer market. So how was that transition for you? And in particular, moving from living in the UK to the US? I think, you know, moving from telco to tech, you would think it'd be quite similar, but actually a world of difference because, you know, one industry is is um, always looking at how, the challenge of how much more can you do with how much less, something that I know is familiar to many of us. Um, whereas tech has, has, has been fortunate to have been a little richer, at, you know, in times gone by. Um, and so, you know, the really we could experiment with things like customer um, success and how do you predict and prevent issues? How are you looking at driving breadth adoption? And of course, um, the biggest challenge was uh, moving from, you know, Vodafone where it's very much a UK centric, dealing with one language, one set of hours of operations, to suddenly you're in a global market that's dealing with many, many languages, multiple products, um, lots of different channels of, of delivery and different hours of delivery. And so that was a that was a really exciting time to go and um, be able to transition into that. And then, you know, moving uh, across from the UK to the US uh, was fantastic. They often say that if you, you know, a Brit out in America, they think that you're more intelligent because of our accent. Unfortunately, I had a British boss, so I didn't benefit from that at all. Um, but, you know, we had, uh, you know, it was, it was great to move out there and go and have an adventure in Seattle, which is a lovely part of the world um, for three and a half years. And then when COVID hit and we were all working remotely, it seemed like a good time to come back to the UK. Perfect. I can absolutely see um, moving from a, a single market or a restricted market business to a, a truly global operation being a fantastic opportunity. So how exciting. And then you had the opportunity to, uh, to, to do more exciting and interesting work within the Microsoft ecosystem, um, which introduced even more complexity, I imagine, into uh, uh, the role through the, um, the acquisition that Microsoft did in 2018 of GitHub. Um, and that was one of the biggest acquisitions at the time, I think, that Microsoft had ever done, a $7.5 billion deal, which is just the scale of that is phenomenal to get your head around. Um, for those of you that don't know, GitHub is a popular code repository service used by many developers and large companies. Um, and Microsoft CEO Satya Nandela said uh, in a, an article, we strengthen our commitment to developer freedom and openness and innovation by joining forces with GitHub. Um, and you moved across there in 2019, I believe. So fascinated with uh, the move from Vodafone and Telco to Microsoft uh, in global operations and now into an incredibly te techy tech environment, not just technical, but techy tech. How on earth was that for you? Yeah, I mean, so uh, uh, GitHub is, is a fantastic acquisition for Microsoft in terms of um, this is where open source is created, hosted, and for anybody who knows it will know that developers are very passionate about the brand. Um, and, and it was hugely strategic in terms of the purchase. But it also was very much more like a startup still, um, even though it had this huge acceleration. It hadn't been around for that long. Their support uh, offering was actually really interesting because um, it was almost this concierge do anything for you. And it was a differentiator. Um, and so as it was brought under the Microsoft umbrella, it was how do you make sure that you are protecting um, the, the real fandom that is out there for GitHub, ensuring that we're still maintaining that differentiated support, but then growing whole new markets. So we added in, in my purview was also professional services, partner support, customer success, um, as well as a number of others. So it's really looking at that whole 
not just support as a break fix, but the whole journey that the customers go through from how we onboarded them and set them up to really ensuring that they had um, digital markets for, for help and support, learning and education throughout the journey, um, as well as the growth that we were that we were building into it through the, the breadth adoption of using the entire ecosystem. Um, and so it was a really exciting place uh, to go and to go and work um, and a great culture because it was uh, I often describe it, you know, if Microsoft is the, you know, the the, the stable parent company that, you know, is is um, very mature. GitHub was a bit like, you know, having the teenage child of that that was very um, idealistic, can change the world, can go for stuff, is fast moving, very agile. And so it was a, a great fun time to go and uh, to go and build something from scratch with them. Um, and we were excited that we were, you know, developing support models that were getting 90 plus percent CSAT feedback regularly. Um, so yeah, it was a uh, support was very important in the, the experience. And with such a, as you say, um, such a strong community naturally because of the nature of the product and the service and the individuals. Um, I, I imagine one of the massive advantages was being able to leverage that community um, in, in delivering a support model as well. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a number of times, isn't it? How you harness your fans to create fans uh, of your user base. There's nobody who will evangelize more on your behalf and be an expert on your behalf than those super fans that you've created within your customer base. And so it's, uh, you know, being able to do that um, and use those folks in our in our community, throughout our services, in our conferences, evangelism, et cetera, was really important, but also listening to them as to how we can improve. They were a great source of that too. Amazing, great. Well, if that wasn't enough, uh, then you decided to to go and find yourself a new challenge. Um, and just recently, in, in 2022, uh, you took on the role uh, at Google of Vice President for Users and Product Operations. Um, uh, well, what an amazing time it must be to be in, in big tech with this I mean, massive acceleration in generative AI. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about your role there now and, and perhaps how that Gen AI is influencing the support operations that you oversee. Yeah, I mean, whilst I wasn't looking, if if Google comes knocking, you've got to say, you've got to answer, haven't you? But, uh, you know, there's there's not, I, there isn't many companies, I think, that, uh, you know, have, have had a more exciting um, history to them than Google. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, we are the, the, the AI company, right? You know, if you think about it, it's uh, what a better place to be than than Google at this this what well, really is a watershed moment for for Gen AI how we're building an AI into everything that we're doing, um, and so um, yeah we we are thinking about how we can utilize that so we're really bringing the human and the technology together more so than it's ever been whether that be AI to empower our agents AI to empower our customers or, or indeed to to get that learning for our our product feedback um, and our services feedback. I think it's it's really important. And so it's now those golden threads weaved into uh, every area of what we do to um, accelerate us and empower us to, to be better at every point. Amazing. And just to help uh, listeners kind of understand a sense of scale, uh, if you're able to share just sort of the level of um, sort of support operations that you, you are um, handling within Google in terms of the, the products and perhaps the volumes? Yeah, so, so GIP looks after the majority of um, of our consumer products. So all of those well-known products that, uh, you know, Google products, whether it be Pixel phones, 
um, and Buds and Watch or um, the Nest products and Fitbit or it's, um, you know, Drive and Gmail and, uh, all, uh, you know, so there's a whole spectrum of products in, in supported in many, many different languages. Um, as well as that, we look at all of our localization content, etc. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's um, a GUP is a, is a large part of uh, Google's support offering uh, for the consumer space. Uh, well, if it was variety you were looking for, you've certainly got it there. I think the last count I was given was that are, I think there's a, at least 140 different hardware products that Google offers, that, and that's not even including any of the software services that are provided. So it is, uh, it's a phenomenal uh, environment to be operating in, added with the global complexity as well. Yeah, and of course, versions. You've got many versions of your products out in the in the support ecosystem that still require looking after. So, yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great um, a great challenge every day. It keeps us busy, for sure, and awake. Great. Well, I suppose we should talk a little bit about GigCX, um, just uh, to get your views on it, really. Um, and I do know you're you're a big believer in the model. Um, uh, you brought it into Microsoft back in 2018, and that's when we started uh, to work together and get to know each other. But just for someone who doesn't know what GigCX is and maybe listening to this as their first Google search to find out what is GigCX, how would you describe it to someone? Um, I guess for the way I've always thought about it, and and clearly I'm not the expert in the room when you're in the room here, but uh, the way I think about um, about using Gig is is being able to tap into that user base. You know, we we've talked before about how you know Google is is passionate about our service and experiences being a differentiator for us, being you know just as good as the the, the products and services we put out there, so that they become part of the reason that you would you'd buy from Google and stay with Google, and we want to be recognizably Google good, you know, that's our aspiration. And so if you think about how you can do that, realistically tapping into those super fans that we have in our in our customer base already and being able to um, work with them to offer them the opportunity to support other users, maybe earlier in the journey, newer to the journey or experiencing something for the first time that, you know, if you've got an expert alongside you who has used it in real terms, who understands your challenges in a way that, you know, perhaps you know, an agent wouldn't, um, then I think it can really tap into a, a level of empathy, expertise, relevancy um, that is fantastic. And then the additional benefit is if somebody already has all of that anyway, then your speed to competency, the ability for flexibility, you know, flexible working models, surge capacity, whatever it may be, I think is, uh, is, is really important for us. And so it's it was an untapped market for us to be able to go into and you know we all ask our customers would you recommend this is a way of them actually facilitating that recommendation um and so i think it's a really nice way for us to tap into that customer base to help other customers perfect and do you i mean maybe perhaps talk about sort of macro trends rather than specifics at, at google but um what do you think are the big things that are affecting the customer support industry right now in terms of challenges that you know, we're, we're all facing, the industry the world over is facing. And, and how, in your mind, do you see GigCX kind of solving some of those challenges in a way? Yeah, I think we've had, it feels like in now what has been a long career, that we've got the same challenges in some ways that we were dealing with years ago, you know, which is, um, especially now in this financial market, there is the question of how much more efficient can we be? That is, that's one that's always there. But I think there's also, you know, we, we all want to, 
we all want our service to be a differentiator for us. I think we all want, you know, to be customer obsessed. Um, but realistically, if you think about support, it is a break fix model. You know, we wait, we probably know because we train our people on the types of questions we're going to get from our customers. So we kind of know what's going to go wrong for them. We wait till it happens, then we do a good job of answering it. And I think, you know, in, a, in an interesting way, it's about how do we get ahead of that? How do we be more of a customer success mentality to be able to predict and prevent those issues um, from happening? And then and then be, the you know, almost like the, the sidekick, the co-pilot, so we can help them along the way at the time that's relevant with those bite-sized things that, that takes them to, bite-sized nuggets of education that helps them get to the outcomes that they're looking for in an easy, friction-free way. Um, and I think that, you know, that requires, you know, a, a bit of vision and change. So um, I think they're the still, still the same challenges probably that you and I were dealing with at the earlier part of our career yeah. um, that still exist often in our in our support industry, in our customer service industry. I mean, still too often we're waiting on a phone call, you know, your call is important to us, which makes me want to say, well, answer it then. <laughs> or that uh, we, we're having to, to wait till something's gone wrong or you're having to put all your details in only for somebody to then when you get the human to come to ask you the same thing you just put in, which was then pointless. So how do you make it seamless between human um, and agent? How do you make sure that actually I'm getting just in time to bring you something that's relevant and meaningful to help you? And how am I predicting and taking issues away so that um, you're actually empowering you with our products rather than making you jump through our processes? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it definitely themes that, that I see from talking to many leaders uh, across many different um, global organizations. And and the other thing that, that comes up time and time again is it's just getting tougher and tougher to find the talent um, that is needed um, to support the ever-increasing types of complexity uh, that is coming into the human support. So uh, where generative AI and other you know, non-generative AI is effectively taking out some of the simpler tasks that are coming into the contact center. And therefore what's left is more complex. And by definition, what's more complex needs a different type of skill level. And of course, we know how hard it is now the world over to find people that want to work in that type of environment um, who have um, maybe different qualifications, different professional experiences, um, so I would say that's what I'm I'm also hearing on, on top of your your very eloquent explanation of the, the streamlining of the issues. So Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? I mean it could be that Gen AI takes out a, a chunk of the traditional volume, but what's left definitely is is an investment in the, the moments that really matter for someone. I mean things like, you know, very simply, if somebody wants to change a password or update a credit card, that should be simple and easy and could be handled with technology. Um, you know, in advance, you know, uh, whereas say somebody gets their account hacked, you really want to speak to a human, you want some empathy, you want the confidence that you're talking to an expert who's going to um, secure your information fast and get you back up and running. And then after that, maybe, you know, give you some help in, in making sure it doesn't happen again. So I think it's a really understanding the journey in the moments and then attaching the uh, solutions that will get the best outcome. Yeah. I think you, the, the word empathy there is is really important. Um, yeah, for me, I'm a massive believer that human to human connection is what differentiates the brand in the moment, uh, whereas the AI and technology is what gives the brand the superpower that it needs to be uh, uh, 
successful on a global scale. So um, it's going to be wonderful to see how these big brands in the world just uh, combine those two to really truly differentiate themselves and get it right at the right time for each individual interaction. Uh, and of course, you can only really have empathy with someone if you've if you've stood in their shoes. Um, uh, so for me, uh, the gig CX role where you're bringing true ambassadors and advocates um, into those conversations at the right times uh, is a really exciting opportunity, actually, I think, for the industry. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think, um, you know, if you've got um... Let's say if you've got a gaming company, for example, and they, you know, you can you can get somebody who's used it, who's gaming, who's a fan, who can talk to you on your own terms in your own language. It's far more relatable. Um, then again, I suppose you need to make sure that it's the relevant in the part of the journey as well, because if that was, you know, the parent ringing and saying, actually, my son or daughter has just run up a massive bill, you probably don't want the gamer on the end going, dude, don't worry about it. <laughs> so. It's about making sure that it's at the relevant time. But I do think, you know, tapping into that like-minded um, who's already got that understanding is so much more valuable than perhaps somebody who really is paid to do it, potentially in a different country without the, the knowledge of it. Yeah, wonderful. So I think it's it's clear that you're 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 a big believer. Um, we're we're super excited. Um, what advice would you give people who are considering changing the way they work? Maybe most likely I would imagine quite a traditional model right now, either with an in-house contact center or an outsourced relationship uh, to move to deliver uh, a part or even all of their work via a gig uh, model. And, you know, you've, you've been through this a number of times now, any nuggets of learnings that you would share with senior leaders? I think what we try and do is always understand what is it our customers are, are trying to do? What's the, what, what is the customer journey? What's the part of that? What's the thing they're trying to get to? Not the, not what they're ringing and asking about, but what they're actually really trying to do. Um, and then making sure that we have, once we've fully understood that problem, understanding what's the best solution for them. And I think there's definitely, you know, in some cases, technology, the solutions that technology can bring can absolutely be the right answer. In others, it may be, the, you know, the traditional service, whether that's in-house or, or an outsourced agent. But I think there's definitely room for, for moments especially around the education or onboarding or helping people unlock added value of tapping into that that user base, that customer base you have of experts already um, and, and allowing them the opportunity to create more fans, to create more um, super users within your area. Not only is that great for your customer, but I also think it's great for the super fan that you've allowed to be the expert. They're proud often to represent your brand um, and they fiercely protect and, and advocate for it. And so being able to, to dip into that, I think can be can be really rewarding from you know the customer, the 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 gig the gig expert and the business's point of view. But I would definitely start with understand the journey and what the customer is trying to do. Yeah, that's great advice. I think often as leaders, operational leaders, we we get very focused on sorting out the operational problem. Um, and it's just a good reminder to, to always come back to customer needs, customer journey, um, holistically, not just in the moment, because, of course, what they've just done yesterday, a week ago, uh, a minute ago online is all probably correlated with their need right now. So that's fantastic. Um, well, I think it's it's probably a good time to wrap up. Um, and just as we do, um, I've also noted that you, you and your teams 
that you've worked with have been honored with many, many industry awards. And I know there's only a few listed on, on LinkedIn. And I know from experience, because I've been with you at some award ceremonies, there are probably a whole list of them that, that you couldn't even get on there. But I just have to ask you about this one. Um, it really piqued my interest. And I see that in 2005 and 2009, you were awarded uh, this amazing title of Vodafone Legend of the Year. I just have to ask, what was that? <laughs> God, that was that was a long time ago. That actually made the the Daily Mail uh, a picture of that with our, our CEO at the time, which was quite interesting. There we go. You've made it if you're in the Daily Mail. <laughs> yeah, um, which, yeah, for anybody who's not in the UK, that's uh, one of our brilliant and always factual uh, press. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say that, um, uh, you know, it's sometimes support is a bit of a thankless task, isn't it? You know, when it's when it's good, it's invisible. When it's bad, it's it gets a lot of help and focus. And so I always love to see the teams rewarded and recognized by um, some of the great industry bodies that we have um, that that do such a good job searching out uh, what's great to look like. And we always, you know, we enter these things normally with, uh, you know, we'll go and learn something and we always do, we always learn because there's always fabulous companies out there doing amazing things and we get to hear their stories too. But the um, the Legends one was uh, just, it's an in-house uh, Vodafone thing that at the time that they did, um, which was um, when I was in the sales area because salespeople get lots more accolades. <laughs> uh, where they recognized their, their top performers and gave them a cool trip. And I can't remember where this one was. I think it was Dubai. Um, uh, and we went to, we went to um, do some surfing down sand dunes, I think. That's amazing. Oh, well, so there, well, obviously an incentive enough to make you want to work hard and, and, and get it uh, a few years later. So I'm just interested, actually, whether your early experience in sales, have you felt that that has really contributed to your success as a leader as you've gone through your career? Or has it just been a path for you to, to get where you are now? I think, you know, I think customer service people are amazing because they are some of the, you know, they don't look for um rewards themselves they're they're doing it because they are in service of others you, you there's a type isn't that that they're in service of others and i'm nowhere near as nice as that i'm i'm actually way more commercial from that point of view so i'm often looking at you know of course we want to um drive really great outcomes for our customers of course we want to be um a differentiator but i want to do that because i want you to stay with us for longer and i want you to buy more from us and i want us to be your favorite brand and so i think that that early you know, sales uh, mentality in it has has given you the the so what I think not just I don't just want to support you in the moment, but I want to make that lifetime experience really good so that you do both get um, customer lifetime value for you know for us, but we're empowering you to to be better to do more with our products and services, and then you are one of our super fans and evangelize about it. So I think that's really the the um, the benefit that a sales background gives. Um, but I am humbled every day by the, you know, the everyday service heroes that that just are in service of others. Wow, that's wonderful. And, and on that note, I can truly say that to me, you are a legend. Um, and I am also humbled by the many, many heroes that are out there in the service world, giving their all, quite frankly, and we know how tough it is to provide amazing experiences to the customers um, that they support. So, uh, all that remains is just to say thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned so much. 
Um, and I'd just like to uh, wish our listeners a, a wonderful rest of the day. And um, if they'd like to get in touch with you, Sue, presumably LinkedIn is a great way just to connect and, uh, uh, and, uh, and stay up to date with everything that's going on in your world. It is indeed always love to learn. Somebody always tells me what they're up to and I always learn a ton. So yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank mm-hmm. you.